0: Hey, so uh, I never do anything conventionally because convention just never really made sense to me. And so well, I had really bad manners growing up. And uh, I learned how to use a fork when I lived in Holland. And I I held it like this. You know what I'm saying? Not like, but I held it like this. And so that's how I just always ate. And my mom in high school started telling me, you know, one day there's going to be a girl who's going to be ashamed to take you home to her parents. And I was just like, you know, find a girl someday, she's not going to care how I hold my fork, you know, and sure enough, I met Tamara, and she actually said, I'm, I'm embarrassed to take you home to my parents, because they, <laughs> they really, they really have manners, you know, like table manners, and I still don't get it right, like it's terrifying, I, I go and I sit there, and I'm like, you know, grab something, well, I'm not supposed to do that, I mean, it's terrifying, um, but, I mean, I just don't have manners that way, and so Thanksgiving, here's what I used to always do, because it, it made sense to me, I would take the potatoes, the gravy, the stuffing, um, the turkey, uh, all of that, and I'd take my, my fork, just jam it in the middle after I cut up the turkey, and I would just mix it all together. Anyone else do that? <laughs> See? Um, it tastes good that way, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I, would, I would just mix it all together, but it would look like, like throw up or something, you know? And, and so, Tamara, to this day, just hates it. Like, when Thanksgiving rolls around, she's just like, oh my goodness. You know, but that's how I eat um, Thanksgiving, is it all mixes together. You can't tell what's what. It just, it's all good. Okay? This morning, my sermon is like that. I It's all just jumbled up, and, and I don't know what's what, but I think there's something good in there. Um, so maybe you guys can hang with me. I had... An extra hour last night to stress and and doubt and question myself and and all that other stuff. But uh, what we're doing is we're in the Gospel of John. Just catching us up a little bit to the Gospel of John. It's a long book, so we've been in this for the better part of a year, since last January. And and the interesting thing about John, just as I've been teaching through it and I've been reading it, is uh, it's really, really, really simple. I mean, it's complex in a lot of ways, but the message is really simple. It's 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 about Christ. I mean, it's not it's not hiding that message at all. I think sometimes as Christians, we we like to talk about God. We get a little bit, you know, less confident when we talk about Jesus. It just feels a little bit more controversial, and and so we, you know, this is uncomfortable. So we just talk about God a lot and kind of leave this out a little bit. or The Gospel of John just talks about Jesus just, I mean, um, He is the light of the world, and He is God's Son, and He is God, and He came to save this world. And, and I mean, it's just always coming back to Christ is um, the whole thing. It's, It's the whole thing. And out of that comes kind of one simple message. And Jesus talks to these people in John 6, and He's like, I'm the manna. Like, I'm not Moses who's, like, just a prophet, you know, who's kind of being the broker between God and you and and getting you taken care of. I am the manna from God. Like, I I am the thing that's to take care of you. Like, I'm not just a prophet. I have come to to be your very food, your very life, your very existence. Like, I mean, there's no getting around it. And, And so Jesus is like, it's me, and because it's me, you got to understand something here. The spiritual is more important than the material. Um, those people had a life expectancy like half of ours. They didn't have doctors that could make them feel confident about diseases or illnesses or sicknesses. I mean, uh, the things that we get a little bit nervous about because it might knock us out for a week, I mean, were life-threatening to them. Um, poverty in the government and things like that uh, were a lot scarier than our poverty and our government and things like that. and these people had difficult, messy lives. We get that right. I mean, they had difficult lives. And so they were looking to Jesus and saying, My life matters, tell me something about my material life. Take care of me. And Jesus would always come back and just say, look, if you think that's the ball game, if you think that's the most important thing here, you're missing you're missing it. Because this is this is a temporary life, this is a short life. And what you should be thinking about is what's going to lead up to eternal life. And that was another thing that Jesus didn't mince words about. Um, he really, really told people that this life was not the end. It was, it was, a, it was a, the middle on, on the journey towards life with God, eternal life, uh, our life in heaven with the Father. We're going to talk about it in just a couple of weeks in John 14, about in my Father's house there's many rooms. Okay, We're going to talk about heaven. So Jesus is doing this, and he's saying that it's not about the material. I understand that that cares. I mean, I came to to help the poor and to heal the sick. I came for that. But if you think that's the, the main goal, you're missing it. It's the spiritual thing. It's me. It's being with God. It's, it's leaving everything and following me. That's important. It's the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. The spiritual is more important than the material. And so Jesus, when, when he talks in John 6, really says... Um, I'm the manna, therefore eat me. Eat my body. Like, this is, this is my message to you. Eat my body. I mean, it's, it's so not what would help with the economy. And so not what would help with, with your day-to-day stress and illness. And, but Jesus was just uncompromising about this. It's, it's, it's not about the here and now only. That's, that's a minor part. The bigger part is the spiritual stuff. So the Gospel of John is just really amazing. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. And then that has implications for how we accept him. We make decisions based on faith, first and foremost, not based on sight. We make decisions for the spiritual, first and foremost, not just decisions that are going to help our material, circumstantial life. And we get to John 12, the back of John 12. And the fascinating thing about this uh, passage is, is it's, it's never on anyone's big list. This is not, this is not the chapter that anyone memorizes. Do you know what I mean by that? Like the Bible has certain sections which are the, the hallowed, kind of poetic, kind of revered sections, Psalm 23 and, and John 3.16. You know what I'm saying? Um, the back end of John 12 is not one of those. It's not. It's, I mean, just a simple matter of fact, but it's really interesting that it's not. The reason it's not is because it doesn't have the jingle or the rhyme or the poetry. But in terms of importance, the back end of John 12 is the end of Jesus' last public sermon. Because beginning in John 13 here, the only words we hear from Jesus are to his select group of friends, the leaders that he's pouring into, uh, as he's preparing just in this last week for death. And John 12 has his last public sermon. And it's fascinating. He, he talks, uh, and, and I think he pleads with these people, and he knows that I mean, I'm not really going to see a lot of these masses again, and I care about them. They're lost sheep of Israel. And, and he's pleading with them, and the message is really simple. Put the spiritual first, which means you have to commit to me, um, and, and I'm the one. It's not going every which way. As you trust God and as you step out in faith, it's following me, it's accepting me, it's believing in me. So He just kind of comes back to this simple message. And I want to just, this morning, we're going to talk about the back half of this chapter where John, who's writing the Gospel of John, obviously, kind of resolves this whole sermon. And uh, and we just see the back end of it. And it's kind of a fascinating thing. And, and what he does is he, he says... They didn't believe. Many of the Jews, they, uh, the people in his audience, they just didn't believe. And he says to them, he says in John 12, he quotes Isaiah. He says, "Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed?" And he goes on and he says, um, "Their eyes were were blinded, and their hearts were deadened. And they can't see and they can't hear." And that was a message, kind of the, the prophet, the prophets, multiple like. Kind of always had was that they didn't have the eyes to see or the ears to hear. And Jesus, you know, John picks up on this, quotes it, and he's like, the seed of Jesus' message, in some sense, as he was sowing it out and telling it to these people, was not received. It wasn't planted in them. And so we see in Matthew and we see in other gospels where. There's the, the parable of the sower, and, and the, the meaning of that parable is that Jesus' message, the gospel message, is the seed. And that seed goes out, and it falls on ground, and there's this rocky ground, and, and it just can't get root, and it doesn't grow. And, and John is kind of telling us that's what happened. These, the, the masses and a lot of these people, they just don't believe. That seed that, that's coming out from Jesus, the message, it has no effect on them. They don't have the ears, and they don't have the eyes, and they're blinded almost to the paradigm. They don't have the the capacity to rethink their way of seeing the world, the worldview, and it just bounces off. And it's a crazy thing. I mean, Christianity, our faith, really is a paradigm, isn't it? I mean, I mean, you'll stand next to somebody this week, I guarantee you, or at work, that has a totally different paradigm seeing scripture, and for seeing Jesus, and for seeing God, and, and, and you, you can talk for weeks on end, and get nowhere, really, and you begin to finally realize that, that sure, there's rational things, and sure, there's evidence, and sure, there's arguments, and sure, there's all these other, like, pieces, but at the end of the day, there's just a paradigm difference. Remember the lady, you know what I'm talking about, like the old lady, young lady thing? I don't have a picture of it, but you look at it one way and it's a young lady. You look at it another way, it's an old lady. What's it called? No, you just, old lady, old lady. It's called the old lady, young lady. Um, but it's, it's just a paradigm thing. That there's certain people that Jesus was talking to just did not have the eyes to see. Um, and so then here, we're going to have it on the screen, but so then we get to verse 42. And we get to another little thing in in John says this. He says, Yet at the same time, there's all these people that can't see, there's all these people that can't hear, they just, they they don't believe. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Um, There's three categories. There's um, uncommitted. I don't know if that has two Ts. You guys can't read it anyway. It's small. So um, uh, uncommitted, um, undecided, and then Committed. See, there's, there's people that just don't believe, atheists. Um, then there's people that believe, and they're full tilt. I mean, I know these people. You know these people. This is what it's supposed to be when that seed gets in there and it consumes you. All your thoughts, all your plans for your life, all your goals, the direction you take on a day-to-day basis is really, hey, where's Jesus at? Where does God want me to go? What does God think about this? And I'm going to follow that way, and, and that's committed. And then there's these people in the middle that, that are riding the fence, and they're undecided. And why are they undecided? Because, <laughs> man, like, it affects everything. This person looks a certain way. This person looks a certain way. And they're basically saying, man, I just can't get all in. I'm half in. There's aspects of this I want, But it brings about a set of circumstances that that I I can't yet accept. I I can't yet fully give over control. Or I can't deal with the fact that I'd have to say goodbye to a whole peer group. Or that uh, people would begin to call me names or talk about me a certain way. And I don't want to galvanize opinion against me that way. Can't I kind of be in the middle and make it all work out? Does that make sense? And so this is this people, and, and there's a, in the parable of the seeds in Matthew, it talks about this as well. It's the sower sow seeds, and there was the seed on the rocky soil, people that just had hardened hearts, and you know what? It just didn't take it all. And then there was seed that took root, and it began to grow quickly, but soon the cares of this world, which were represented like weeds, there were these weeds that kind of choked it out, this fear. It was weakness. it was I, I really can 't step all the way up to what would be required of me to, to die to myself, to just basically say my own agenda's gone, and i 'm replacing it with a new commitment, a new desire, a new source of joy which is following christ and, and man, I, the cares of this world weeds choke it out, and that seed that began to grow dies, and that 's kind of this category, and so it says there they loved praise from men more than praise from God, and so they kind of stayed in the middle and hedged their bets. Um, This is really interesting in my mind. Um, I talked last week about education, and I I think I confused a couple people, and I said Antioch is an educational institution. Some of you thought about, like, fluorescent lights and your, you know, your worst teacher ever in elementary school, and you just were like, ah, like, church is going to be like that, you know, like, what's going on, and, and you just loaded education with kind of a certain meaning that way, and what I meant by education was growth, I mean, growth in terms of relationship building, growth in terms of love, growth growth in terms of the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, growth in terms of our knowledge and our understanding and, and our desires and our capacities as we're being equipped and trained, so it's just, it's developing, it's growing is what I meant by education, and I'm sorry if education is a negative word and it probably threw you off, but here's the thing that happens with this group of people. When I was trying to decide which college to go to, I didn't grow at all. I mean, you know what I mean? When I was was still trying to make a decision where I was going to go to college, I was not in the position of learning and growing. Once I committed to a college, I got there, I got rooted, and I committed myself to it, I began to grow. There's something about this category that's very, very subtle. It's, it's not rooted yet. We're still trying to decide whether we're going to be in or out or, or what areas we're going to be in or out. And, and our mind is occupied with things that are different than the kinds of things that are going to nourish and train and equip and grow us up. Does that make sense? So if we're going to grow, we've got to be rooted. We've got to be in Christ. We've got to be where he's at following him, not still sitting with like the thinker guy with our, with our hand on our chin and, and going, what should I do? Should I, should I do this or not do this or do this or not do this? And so there's a real sense here where we have to have an active faith. So James talks about, the book of James talks about, don't be hearers only, but also be doers of the word. Don't be hearers only, but also be doers. So there's this active element which, which the Bible's going for. If you're doing the Word, that's, that's who you're supposed to be. So there's this active element, and then there's this passive category. Now, what we've done in the church in America is we've said, here's the line. You're a Christian if you're on this side of the line, because you, you're, you're okay with it. In some sense, you don't break out in hives when someone pulls a Bible out. You know, you actually maybe go to church. You, you might even, you know, get involved in some things, you know, just safe stuff that, that you can kind of handle. And we say this is Christianity, this is not Christianity. What Jesus drew as the line was here. He said it was all or nothing. So you're either You either believe or you don't believe. There's no, like, middle ground. There's no being choked out by the cares of this world. There's no pleasing men and God. He says in another place, you can only serve one master. So Jesus, it's just the one category, and we see here that there's people that just didn't believe, and then there's people who, who did, and they heads their bets. Just one more quick thought here. Um, we talked about the, the growth thing, being he- uh, doers, not hearers. Last week, I talked about th- the temptation for churches to become an entertainment industry. And next spring, I'm teaching a class on the history of atheism um, at Killens College, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock. Cool to have you there. Um, so I was actually reading Rousseau. So here, here's the most random quote ever, but from Rousseau, Rousseau was against entertainment. He was against the theater, even though he wrote plays. But he thought... Um, he thought the theater was really interesting. He actually said that that the energy to fight injustice um, washes out with our tears when we're at the play. There's something really interesting he he noticed about entertainment. E- at entertainment, we go through the mo- emotions. We feel it. I mean, I mean, you just get stressed sometimes. You know, the only times I cry now is when I watch movies that that like. It's like a little kid being hurt. I've got daughters, you know what I mean? Um, I shouldn't have said, that I watched watch UFC last week, but I did it, And so you guys already know that. But like when I watch it, like I get my, my shoulders get all tense because people are like fighting and I'm like stressed and like competitive and I'm breaking out in sweats and you know what I mean? Like we, we go through emotions when we're watching things. We go through emotions when we're watching things, and it begins to be easy to be passive and think that we somehow are engaged in something just because we've felt the emotions. It's easy for Antioch to talk about missions. It's easy for us to talk about poverty. It's easy for us to talk about um, the disparity in wealth and in privilege and in classes and everything. Um, and to feel like, oh, I, oh, man, that really got me. But what we don't realize is the energy, the capacity to do something about it almost washes out with the tears, says Rousseau. I, I think it's apt. John goes on, and, um, and he talked about those that are kind of half in here, and then we get to some more of Jesus' words. And so Jesus says this. He, he, uh, he cries out. Then Jesus cried out, now, Um, One of the reasons I wrestled with this sermon was there's parts of it that began to feel preachy to me. I don't like being preachy. Um, It's one thing to be preachy when someone asks a question and then you, like, answer it. When you just come in preachy, like, it's weird, right? Somebody asked me to be preachy. Thank you. Um, I can do it authentically now. It's, uh, you got to picture Jesus being in this capital city. Maybe on the outskirts, and and there's a lot of people. Um, he is on the outskirts, by the way. Sorry about that. There's a lot of people, and and he's teaching them. And and look at the word here. It's not. And, and then Jesus said. And then Jesus relayed. Jesus passed on. Um, it's Jesus cried out. This is the last public sermon, and he cried. They don't have microphones, you know. So Jesus is crying out. He, he's, he's, if we're not tracking with him, it's awkward energy. You know when someone just takes it to a whole level that you're not prepared to go to, and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> all, right, all right, we just crossed the line here, you know. Um, um, but the people that are tracking with Jesus, he's there, he's going there, he's crying out so they can hear him. he's, he's, he's a summation of all of what he's been trying to say. And he says, when a man believes in me, not religion, not Baptist, Presbyterian, Antiochism, I don't know. It's it's me. I'm the center of this thing. And when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. And I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. He's giving positive motivation here. He's saying, look, this is, this is the good news. I came to preach good news. You are in darkness. It's, it's not where you want to be. It's uncomfortable. You know when you're in dark, like real dark? You're like, oh man, am I going to stub my toe? Is there a snake that's going to get me? Is there a bad guy? going? Like, I can't see anything, and you're groping like this, and you're insecure. We're not grounded we're insecure, we're scared, we deal with fear, all of us, all of us. I mean, I could take a lot of time and just explain the different kinds of fear that we've got, but, but we do. And Jesus is saying, you're in darkness, you're going through those, those, those things, those experiences, and I've come as the light, and when light comes and you're in darkness, what do you want to do? You're like, oh, sweet, if I move towards the light, I'm going to come out of darkness, and I'll be able to see and when I can see, then I can have confidence. The fear goes away. I'm, I'm confident. I know where I'm at. The identity's there. And I don't have to be scared any longer. And, and Jesus is like, don't you get this? This is a good thing. I'm here. Come to me. And we take this the wrong way um, because we make the error, the passive error, of thinking that religion deals with something that's going to happen to us. Uh, Let me slow down here and get this. We think, because faith has become a passive thing, we we think that religion is something that ought to happen to us. If we think that the, the definition of faith is just believing that God is big, or that God exists, then we're sitting here and saying, I've got faith, I believe He's big, I believe He exists. Now He still has to prove it to me by what? Changing my material circumstances. Actually answering a couple of those prayers of mine and making my circumstances better. I believe God exists. He needs to make my life more comfortable. And we expect we expect that the whole enterprise here, something's going to happen to us. And uh, there's a great Dorothy Sayers quote. Dorothy Sayers was one of C.S. Lewis' friends in, in Oxford there. And she said something um, at the end of World War II because they were rationing all this food. And she said, um, gluttony, if, you know, the good news is gluttony, if we have not renounced it, it's one particular sin which has renounced us. You know, you get that? Like, hey, sweet, like we don't deal with gluttony anymore. Like that sin has renounced us. Um, I think we, we think that that's the way it's supposed to work. That if God's really big and he's really working, that slowly things are going to be shutting down and life just gets easier for us as sins kind of renounce us. And we stay where we're at and we begin to grow. But the whole imagery here uh, of darkness and light is Jesus saying, I'm the light. You're supposed to come out of darkness and into light. There's an active decision there. It's a commitment to be where I'm at, to follow me, to choose me over where you're at, the circumstances and the the desires and the the whatever, the goings-on of your old life. That in some sense you have to say no to that, say goodbye to that, leave it behind to be able to grab me here. There's the great picture in the last of the Indiana Jones things. You guys remember that? Like Indiana Jones, he's like about to fall into this cavern, and he's got a hold of the Holy Grail, which is eternal life. And his dad's there, his dad is Sean Connery, and he wore the little tweed hat. Um, it's like the only movie where Sean Connery's not cool, right? I mean, not manly. Um, and he's and he finally uses Indiana's like original name. You know what I mean? Like uh, Indiana, like let go of it. Take my hand, and. and and it's a great picture of having to let go of something in order to be saved, you know. And and Jesus is like, you gotta let go. That's why he said, you gotta hate your mom and your dad and your kids and your best friends. And, and we could look at that and be like, what's up with Jesus? That's not loving. Man, I'm not down with that. Like, forget him. Like, man, he doesn't know what's up. Like, to my people, like, it's bad translation. Jesus wouldn't say that, you know. And it's like, no, Jesus said that, because he knows you're going to hide. He knows I'm going to hide. He chases me into my hiding places, trust me, where I'm, like, finding good things. Like, oh, that's good. This is good stuff. Like, this is, God would like this stuff. It's it's my family. It's, it's people, and, you know, the more money I get, the more I can help my family, you know, or... Or, hey, it, you know, it's comfortable for my family, but I'm supposed to take care of my family, so comfort's good in this way. And, like, we, we get exposed in those places. And Jesus is like, man, if you've got to get this, like, it's a commitment. And you've got to let er- everything go over here and grab hold of this and trust that when you get me, you get all the right things thrown back in. But you're not going to see that until you're over here, until you have the light that illuminates and you can see that yeah, this is the right call. It's the right call. Over here, you're scared to death. That's why it's called faith. It's faith. Like, ah, will I really let go and trust that this will catch me and be the right thing. And Jesus says, I'm the light, you're in darkness. <coughs> You've got to come from both of these spots and get it and become committed and, and follow me. And take hold of me. I'm the idea here. And it's spiritual over material. Don't let material things hold you back. And it goes on. Um, ah, I don't think we have time for it, but I don't think we have time. The, There's a means end discussion here that we'll save maybe for a different time. but if we think that religion is something that's supposed to happen to us, it begins to make us as the end of religion, right? Instead of God is the end of religion and faith, and our commitment, faith is a commitment, it's trust. Trust is active. And our trust is a means by which we arrive in this relationship with God. But, but this is the end, not me just sitting here and religion happening to me. Does that make sense? So it's a subtle thing when we stay passive, but it flips the whole thing upside down, the purpose of religion. What I was trying to say last week with, unless Antioch dies, like, hey, we should have a strategy for Antioch to die in 20 years. Um, and that, I didn't mean that literally. Again, some people confu- like misunderstood that. Like, I meant that we don't make it an end in itself, that we see Antioch as a means by which we're supposed to grow and plant and give life to stuff, and it doesn't matter what happens to Antioch. Antioch's not supposed to be immortal, right? Okay we're not the end, we're a means. And so when you get to heaven, there's not going to be a Baptist church on the corner. It's not going to be a Presbyterian church on the corner. Antioch is not going to be meeting in heaven as Antioch. There's no need for it. The purpose of Antioch here is to be a means of helping this relationship with with people coming, knowing each other, and then encouraging each other to have this relationship with God. And once we're in heaven, the purpose, the need for Antioch is gone we're not going to be on the street corner. It's not going to be a high school in heaven that we meet at, right? Um, that would be hell. I'm just kidding. Um, so we've got to get, we get the idea of means, the things that are there to serve a greater purpose. We've got to get that right in our minds, right? The means versus the ends. So then we come to John 12. This is the part that's weird for our ears. So just get excited. It's weird for us. This is what Jesus says. So he gave positive reinforcement. I'm the light. Now he, he goes a different place with it. Uh, as for the person who hears my words, the seed, right? Um, the seed's coming and they reject it, but does not keep them. I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. I came to give the seed, right? But there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him, At the last day. This message I spoke that they were supposed to come out of darkness into light, make me the chief thing, put spiritual over material. If they've rejected that message, here's what happens. Um, I did not speak of my own accord. This message was not mine. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So this message has authority. It has authority. And I know that his command leads to eternal life. And so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And then it says, he's the one who will judge you. So do you get this Jesus saying? Okay, here's the message, real simple. And it's not my message, man. I'm speaking under authority. This is what God wants to say to you. And if God's saying this to you and he's commanding this of you, if you don't hear it, it's the same as disobeying. It's the same as rejecting. It's the same as turning your back on um, God. And you will have to give account for why you were not willing to trust enough to let go of this and grab hold of this. That you are responsible in some sense for for not having that faith or being willing to ask God for help with that faith. Um, And it's God who judges. When was the last time you heard... Um, a judgment sermon. It's been like a decade for me. I mean, you, maybe you come from a church that's a little bit more old-fashioned and they still like like to drop the judgment sermon. Um, but it's pretty unpopular. Why is it unpopular? Um, it's unpopular because I think mainly um, we our tradition in America is one where we the Puritans, those who wanted to purify doctrine and how it worked out in their lives, they they lost, you know, Cromwell in England, and they took power, and then they lost power, and so then they had to like go away, um, and they came to America, mainly New England, and they set up these communities there, and the Puritans basically had God be the center of all the parts of their life, the schooling, the families, the education, the social structure, the discipline. Every aspect of life was God. And for the Puritans, so it's like if this is the pie, every aspect was interconnected and related and it had God at the center. Let me read uh, from a Puritan author. And this is from his Terrible Description of Hell pamphlet, right? Um, The deeper a man is humbled for sin, the more shall be his grace of salvation. I don't think there's anything wrong with that statement. But what the Puritans did was they really, really, really took man as, as being lowly and sinful. And real, they realized that in some sense, this lowliness showed the need for God or that God's grace was magnificent because it helped us the worst of sinners. And so they, they really pushed these things to two opposite extremes. And then in that whole process, they weaved the thread of fear throughout the whole thing. Because we're so low, because God is so big, and He doesn't owe it to us, um, we should be really afraid of the wrath of God, of the justice of God, of what would happen if we don't accept this, this offer of, of grace. Um, I told you I'm doing an atheism class, so I want to read you just a quote um, from Ernest, Ernestine Rose, and she was a Polish-born American in the whole, uh, most of the 1800s. And she was an uh, avid atheist, abolitionist, women's rights movement kind of gal. And of course, um, a Maine newspaper called her a thousand times worse than a prostitute because she was an atheist. Um, But listen to what she says, and I think we'll understand our culture a little bit better. We are told that religion is natural, that belief in God is universal. It is an interesting and demonstrable fact that all children are atheists. And were religion not inculcated into their minds, they would remain so. Even as it is, they are great skeptics until made sensible of the potent weapon by which religion has ever been propagated, namely, fear. Um, Fear, according to this particular atheist, is the way we make people believe in religion. So we naturally don't like this aspect of religion. In our day and age where we, we react against the Puritans because it felt heavy, Tamara was watching TV last night and Footloose came on. Remember Kevin Bacon in Footloose? You guys remember that? Like in the portrayal of the pastor in that movie. I mean, if, if you don't know, a, I know it because I'm, I'm a pastor. Remember I tell you I try to get away from the name pastor, but like I watch TV and I, I'm a pastor so it sticks out to me. But pastors in the media are like one step above like mass murderers in terms of coolness, or, you know what I mean? Like, we're about as icky as, like, just ahead of mass murders, you know? And so, like, there's this hate, this sense of hate and fear and damnation and judgment that kind of, like, comes out, and it doesn't have any of this love in it, and it's mixed with fear, and we've so begun to see fear talk is like, oh, we don't want any of that. So we just wholesale wipe it out, and we only like to talk about the positive aspects of faith. We do. We only like to talk about the positive aspects. And so here Jesus comes, and Jesus is like, man, the last words of my last public sermon, this is big stuff. I'm not just saying, you know, uh, 99 cents, here's a great sale on something I'd like to give you. I'm saying here's truth, and it comes from God, and if you reject it, um, God will judge you for that. If you're in the middle, maybe you you need to realize a little bit of healthy fear that will help motivate you to truly trust God and let go. And once you grab hold of this, and and you see, and and you'll get, man, that was the right call. But Jesus turns to fear here, and we don't talk about that in our culture that much anymore. Uh, There's a sports psychologist I once heard, crazy thing, like they bring these people, these big 300-pound linemen down to Florida, And they try and like retrain the way their minds work. And one of the first things they do is they tell them they have to go on this two-mile jog and then turn around and come back through this like trail. And they tell them you got to be really careful. There's these uh, hogs, like warthogs or something in the bushes. And man, they'll gorge you. Like they'll they'll just tear you apart. Like you got to be really careful of them. And they set up a video camera. And these guys about like a mile into the jog are just chatting, a couple of them together. And then they like have someone rustle the bushes and they're videotaping, and they see how these guys respond. These 300-pound guys just like, freak out, you know, and like run back, you know, and, and then they show them the videotape, and, and it's all designed to help them see this one conclusion. We respond to things the way we're programmed to respond. We respond to things the way we're programmed to respond. If you're, because of your upbringing, we're programmed to respond to things with fear, you're going to respond to things with fear. If you're programmed to respond to things by like shutting down you're going to shut down like we kind of develop a way of responding to things and then that's just how we do it, it's really mechanical that way my fear is in our culture <coughs> that we have been um, conditioned to harmonize with our peer group we've been conditioned to harmonize with our peer group and that that means that we take things too lightly we don't talk about fear anymore it's heavy so what we've done is we've relegated religion to this little slice of the pie. God has nothing to do with anything else, not with death or heaven or hell or or family or my money or my work or my sports or my hobbies, just a little bit of church and a little bit of morality or something. And and it's this slice of the pie, but you better not be too preachy because that's out of bounds. And, And we take things. My fear is we've been conditioned to be with our peer group where we take things too lightly. So things come to us, and we respond. We've been conditioned to respond a certain way. Ah, that's too heavy. It's out of bounds. Or hey, that's cotton candy. I like that. That's what religion should be doing. And we respond that way, not like Jesus is is talking to us. Jesus is talking to us on a whole different level, and he's crying out to us. Uh, Interesting story. um, I just want to share with you. I lived in D.C. about an hour from D.C. In junior high and high school, and all that is uh, Centerville and Manassas, that area. And that's where the Battle of Bull Run, the first and the second Battle of Bull Run, were fought. The first Battle of Bull Run, first battle of the Civil War, really crazy story. What happens is, is it turns into this like um, this uh, public spectacle thing. So everybody in their carriages, it's like you know tailgating before a big football game, right? Everybody's carriages parked on the side, and they're on the hill overlooking it. And all the, I mean, senators and the leading people, like, traveled out to watch this first battle. Um, We've got a picture of it if you want to see a a painting. But if you know the history, what happened is after a while, the Confederates absolutely routed the Union troops, and they ran all the way back um, to to D.C. Took them almost a whole day, ran all the way back to D.C., and then kind of retreated there. And that overran where all these people were kind of spectators, and it turned into this absolute craze of a situation, right? But listen to what um, this guy, William Russell of the London Times, he's kind of the most noted um, journalist that was out there. He recalled at the beginning, slopes covered with men, carts, and horses. Spectators crowned the summit. And, and this became a famous statement in that whole day. Um, I failed to discover any traces of close encounter or very severe fighting. Like, obviously, this was early on, and it became really ironic. Um, but listen to what he says of this one woman. Um, especially one woman with an opera glass. She was quite beside herself when a louder-than-usual volley echoed from the distant battlefield. That is splendid, she exclaimed. Oh, my, is this not first-rate? I guess we'll be in Richmond this time tomorrow. You know, like, it's just this wonderful thing that we're watching and observing and spectating, and we, you know, these people don't understand the gravity of it all. They've somehow allowed themselves through groupthink or whatever um, to take it too lightly. It's, It's war, right? We've dumbed religion down in America so much that my fear is we're sitting here with something really huge with eternal consequences, and there's aspects of it that should have us scared to death. And we've been programmed... To take it too lightly to to, to drive up on the edge of the field on the little knoll and get our opera glass out and to go, isn't this splendid? Isn't this wonderful, this whole religion thing? And isn't our church great? Um, And aren't we doing wonderful things around the world? And my, oh, my, and as our tears roll down our cheeks um, and our joy wells up in our belly, any energy we have for actively being doers of the word kind of just runs out as we're entertained. The synagogue, um, in Jesus' culture, the word synagogue's Greek word means assembly. It's a lot like the Greek word for church, which meant gathering. And when Jesus said these men were afraid because if they came over to him, they'd be put out of the synagogue, we think, oh, good, We, we don't have to worry about that. I'm not in a synagogue. You know what I'm saying? Like we think, well, we're already Christians. We're not Jewish. But we don't understand that the idea here was this was the social network This was was the hub, this was the people, this was the the polis, this was the city and the politics and the relationships and the the things we're afraid of. This is reality, the material, the comfort, the circumstances. And Jesus is saying, um, coming to me is going to have huge implications to everything in your life. And these people were afraid of those implications. And you might be here this morning, and you might be here in the exact same situation because you know that when you really get alone with God, he whispers something to you. He wants you to do something or to serve him in a certain way or to let go or to give. And you've stopped kind of praying in a certain way because you know if you really get deep enough with God, you're going to have that twang uh, of guilt and be reminded that there was something he once said to you that you never really did. And, And you kind of stuff that away because it's easier to go, but look at me, I'm in this bubble, and what we don't realize the whole time is, no, we're not. We're still hedging our bets, and we're still passive, and we're still waiting for religion to happen to us and change our circumstances. And we have not yet been willing to radically obey and to let go of all that is not God's agenda for us and to grab hold of all of it. And it's, how, do, how do we do that? I mean, how, do we do, how, how do we do that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm wrestling with how I do it in my life, and it's crazy, and it's scary, and it's unpopular and the only way I know to tell you to figure out how to do that in your life is you got to get with God, and you've got to honestly want to hear. Here's the thing. People are always going, I wish I could hear from God. And I'm like, you know, if you really wanted to hear from God, I think you would. But you don't really want to because the things that God says usually are the last things you want to hear. And I think God knows when we're ready to hear and when we're not. And, and I think if you really want to hear from God, um, you'll hear from Him. But get ready to change Maybe everything. Maybe everything. We've got to wrestle with God. We've got to listen to what he's saying. We've got to be willing to, at any moment, drop anything and follow the Holy Spirit. It's what it means. We're strangers now. We don't belong to the polis or the state or the city or the social group or the family structure anymore. We belong to this kingdom, and in some sense, we're strangers to this. And so we can't get too comfortable sitting in churches because um, that's not what it was about. We're either radically following Christ actively, or we're not where we're supposed to be. We don't understand faith. We don't understand trust. So what, uh, what is God asking you to give away? What is he asking you to do? Where is he asking you to go? In what way is he asking you to serve? Who are you supposed to encourage? Who are you supposed to go find that's a, a teacher that can help hold you accountable and pour into your life and pray for you? Someone told me the other day, like, do you really love Antioch? I'm like, yeah, but you want to know how I figured out how to really emotionally love Antioch? I had to start seeing the faces. Like, I'm just not a super feely, touchy guy, whatever. And so the idea of, like, Antioch, me loving it, like, it just doesn't do it. But when I see the faces of people, and I know their stories, and I know what's going on, like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, man, I care about those people. Same with you and me and the rest of us when we serve at Antioch. If we just think, Antioch, I don't have energy to serve that. It's hard. Someone else will do it, whatever. We have to break it down and see the faces of people that need us to teach or that we need to be taught from or that we need to serve or give to or encourage. And somehow this thing needs to build itself up in love as we all grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen? right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your patience with us, um, that your long-suffering, that your grace knows no end. We pray that in all things, just that we would see truth, that we wouldn't just believe lies or easy things or or stuff that in some sense becomes a barrier to faith. Um, Give us the fortitude, just just the the gut strength to be willing to hear from you, to hear just strong words. if it requires strong words, give us the, the ability to respond when we know that you're whispering in our ear that you're asking us to do something, no matter what the cost, no matter how scary. Just give us the ability to respond. In Christ's name.